First Timothy chapter three. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of an overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless." Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know that you ought to, how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand your word, free us from distractions, Help us to focus on what the Spirit says to the church regarding the question of who will lead us. Lord, we pray that you would give great wisdom to us to hear your word, that you would help us all not only to heed this regarding elders and deacons, but for our own hearts. Help us to look like elders and deacons, even if that's not our formal title in your body. We pray that you would teach us to be all of these things, temperate, sober-minded, ruling our households well, uh, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Make your people look like this by feeding them on your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, being an elder or deacon is not an easy position. Paul tells us that the church is an organization under attack. In the latter times, some will depart from the faith. It's in that context that he says, here's what you do, here's what you look for, for an elder or a deacon. We're not electing men to eat cake and debate theology. Where's that in the Bible? It's not there. No, we're electing men who will guide the church at a time when Few young people want to have anything to do with church. I think I read that about 14% of Americans ages 15 to 34 are in church. Just 14%, right? 86% are not. Church attendance nationwide is down 20% since COVID. We've just chopped the fifth right off the top of the church. It's in this context when lots of those who did grow up in church have altered their memories 
forgotten the love and care they received, and now claim that the church is a vicious, judgmental place that deserves to perish on the ash heap of history. In this context, being an elder or deacon is not an easy job, not a cakewalk, not a sinecure where you get honor and respect and everyone says, oh, that's a deacon, that's an elder. Wow, I'm very impressed. No, in this climate, what kind of leaders do we need? And Paul says, here's the kind. We need this sort of elder, this sort of deacon. And I put this, I've taken this list and broken it out in chart form that's on the back of the prayer request page in your bulletin. So if you're a chart kind of person, you may find that useful. I certainly did. There are 14 qualifications that Paul lists for the elder and 7 plus 1 that he lists for the deacon. When he says we need these officers because of the context, what's around us, some departing from the faith, listening to the lies of demons. And he says the same thing in Titus. In fact, he adds... In Titus 1, there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced. Why do we need elders and deacons? Because people are departing from the faith and or ranting against the faith with empty talk and deception. Telling all kinds of lies about Jesus, about His church, about the people within His church, about the doctrines of the church in this context to publicly identify oneself with the church not just as a member but as a leader is necessary for the sake of the glory of Christ and that's where Paul takes it in 1 Timothy 3 he says I want you to know how to behave in church because of what the church is the church is the pillar and ground of the truth and therefore we need elders and deacons who look like this and furthermore the church is the home of godliness. Godliness is a mystery. Piety is a mystery. And he lists six truths about Jesus. Six mysterious things. He was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the Spirit. And so on. We'll look at these. Because of the church's unique status as pillar and ground of the truth, because of Jesus' unique status as the one who encapsulates or incarnates the mystery of godliness, we need elders and deacons. So look at the world around, people departing from the faith. We need elders and deacons. Look to Jesus above. We need elders and deacons. Look at the church itself as pillar and ground of the truth. We need elders and deacons. What sort should they be? Well, there's this list of 14 characteristics for the elders, 7 plus 1 for the deacon, and thus, well, let's look at them. Four of these Overlap. We'll start there. Overlapping requirements that are mentioned for both the elder and the deacon. And again, these are on your chart. The first one of these in elder order is the husband of one wife. Paul uses the word overseer to describe the elder in this text. There's several different words used interchangeably in the New Testament. Overseer and elder, also translated bishop. And if you have King James or New King James, it says bishop. That's uh, the English version of the Greek word episkopos. Epi means over and skopos means seer. And thus bishop is an equivalent to the English word 
overseer. Somebody who watches over the activities of the church, who is in charge of leading and regulating the worship, walk, and witness of the church. What should this man be like? Well, he needs to be the husband of one wife, and that's equally true of the deacon, someone who leads the church financially or physically in terms of physical property and uh, fiscal matters, money, gifts, real property, all of these things, the deacons are in charge of that. So the elders lead in terms of the worship, the word of God and prayer. Deacons lead in terms of finances, physical plant, buildings, needs, duties in terms of helping widows, feeding people, making sure that people have a place to live. Anyway, that's not in this text. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Hopefully you all have some background in understanding that. But Paul says, to fill this position, first of all, both the elder and the deacon are to be the husband of one wife. So obviously, he puts it that way because in one sense, it's a very weird way to put it. You don't hear that otherwise. You might hear the word chaste. You might hear faithful. You might say he's loyal. He doesn't cheat on his significant other. But Paul says husband of one wife. So as to sort of rule out several different perversions all at the same time. Including, especially polygamy, which was known and practiced in the ancient Mediterranean world as it is today, at least in certain places. Husband of one wife means not husband of multiple wives. You've got a guy with five wives and he gets converted and joins the church. He seems to be on fire for the Lord. Don't make him an elder. Don't make him a deacon. He's a polygamist. He can be a member of the church and he and his four wives can come and sit in the pews without getting divorced from each other, but he is not to advance into the leadership of the church. And then Paul also seems to be referring to divorce, the serial monogamy. I'm the husband of only one wife at a time, but I've really been the husband of her and her and her and her and her and her and her, and I've got all my exes live in Texas. Paul says, no, don't do that either. And then, of course, if you are married, and even if you've only been married once and only have one wife, be faithful to that one wife. A man who is unchaste is not suitable for elder or deacon. Why? Because the leader of the church needs to be like Jesus, who is faithful to his one and only bride. Jesus doesn't have two brides. Jesus is not a polygamist. He does not love what the church and Israel He does not love this woman and that woman. He loves one and is faithful to one. Just as God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, He made them in the beginning male and female. Jesus cites that. So in the church, the leaders of the church need to show that in their marriage, in their sexual chastity. And then, uh, second, both the elder and the deacon are not to be given to much wine. That is, if they have substance abuse problems, if you've ever seen these guys tipsy or half seas over or completely drunk, then you have to say, not suitable. Anyone with a substance abuse problem is not fit for office in the church. Christ controls himself. He is not controlled by wine or methamphetamines or anything else. And that includes 
not just uh, what we think of as the traditional addictive substances, but anything that causes addictive behavior, including food, social media, right? Someone who can't stop arguing on Facebook, someone who's always participating in Twitter flame wars, someone who is overeating on ice cream and pigging out at the local buffet. These people have addictive problems such that they're not suitable for office within God's church. Paul says as well, they're not to be greedy for money. Neither elders or deacons can be people who really are all about the almighty dollar, who claim, oh yes, I worship Jesus, Jesus is Lord, but the way they behave, the way they talk, the way they think, the way they act, the dollar is Lord. And all they can tell you about is Wall Street and their stocks and bonds and portfolio and car and house and land and this and that and the other thing, that the money they're making by this and the wonderful trade they've made shorting that. Someone who's driven by money is not suitable for being an, either an elder or a deacon. Finally, the fourth overlapping requirement, a man must manage his children and household well. A man who says, I don't know, honey, you do it. That man is not managing his household. He is abdicating in his household. Or a man who's got the whole family devoted to something that's frankly unworthy. This entire family is all about the NFL championships. We spend all our time in front of the TV And we root for the Broncos, and that's it. That's all we do. We live for football season. We live for baseball season. We live for our sport. We live for our camping. We live for this or that thing of this world. That man is not managing his household well. He might be managing it, not to a worthy end. How will you know, by the way, whether the man manages his children or household well? Particularly in the case of the elder, It's through the hospitality. The elder must be hospitable, Paul says. When you're in someone's home, you can tell very quickly how that home is managed. You walk in the door, I've used this example many times, you walk in the door and you see a gigantic television in the center of your field of view, and it's on, and it's blaring loudly, and the attention of everybody in the house is on that thing. That's a signal of what they value in that house. You know right away the instant you walk in the door. The man must manage his children household well. Now, these standards are high. Paul is not trying to tell us, though, by the way, the church will never have elders or deacons. Let me list 21 impossible things. All right, here you go, church. You'll never make it. I'm just saying that ideally the church would have this, but I know it won't. No, that's not what he's saying. The standard is high, but it is attainable. And therefore we should not interpret these as though they are unattainable. There's a certain amount of good enough when it comes to interpreting each one of these standards. Paul is not saying only Jesus Christ can be an officer in the church. But he's saying there's a clear difference between someone who manages his household well and someone who doesn't. There's a clear difference between someone who's chaste 
than someone who has a new girlfriend every six months, a new mistress every six months. There's a clear difference between someone who every once in a while has a half glass of wine more than he should and someone who is, can't wait to get home from work so that he can, like one guy I knew, every day at the end of the day, he would get home from work, mix a bottle of whiskey with a bottle of tequila, and then drink as much of that as he could before passing out. Right? That's given to much wine. That's somebody who is not suitable to be an elder in the church. Someone who has an extra donut sometimes is different from someone who can't wait to get back into the bottle where he can crawl inside and forget his sorrows. Right? So Paul is telling us not there will never be elders. He's telling us in your average church, you ought to be able to find people who are like this. And of course, he even tells Titus, I left you in Crete to put elders in every church. By the way, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This is true. Rebuke them sharply and then put elders in the churches. Right? Even in Crete, you can find an elder. So surely in Gillette, you can find an elder. Don't interpret this. Last time I preached on this text, someone who is no longer a member of the church told me, there are no elders or deacons in the church. So I don't want to leave you with that impression. That's not what Paul is trying to convey. Well, let's look very quickly at the 11 requirements that apply only to the elder, or the 10 that apply only to the elder. The first is that he is blameless or above reproach. Paul doesn't mean no one ever says anything bad about him. He means that nothing bad about him can stick. People might lie and slander the guy, but anyone who knows him knows that it's obvious that that's not true. The guy is above reproach such that, like Daniel, the only real fault you will find in him concerns his God. Yes, he will have problems, character flaws common to the people of his time and place. Absolutely. But they will be small. They will be under control. This guy will not stand out for any vice or anything where you say, ooh, that looks like a red flag. The blameless man, the man above reproach, doesn't have red flags on his character. Second, he has to be temperate or in command of himself. The temperate man is able to tell himself no, and this overlaps closely with the next one, sober-mindedness. Sober-minded man has thinking in touch with reality. This is... More rare than you would think, right? Common sense is not common. Thinking in touch with reality can be hard to find. Oh, I can definitely afford that. I'm only carrying $15,000 in credit card debt. No, you can't afford anything. Stop. Your thinking is out of touch with reality at this point. Elder must be sober-minded. He has to be appropriate or respectable. Someone that others can look at and say, I am impressed with that man's character. Fools and laughing stocks need not apply for the position of elder. Elders should not be Don Knotts or some other famous comedian who can make you laugh just by the way he walks across the room. You shouldn't look at the guy and say, that guy is a doofus. No. 
I told you before how when Don Knotts died, my mother and brother got into a big fight over it because my brother announced that he was dead and that he had been a ridiculous man and my mom didn't hear Don Knotts, she heard the Scots reformer John Knox. (laughs) John Knox, oh what an idiot! No, he wasn't an idiot, he was a man of God! Don Knotts, a man of God? He couldn't even carry a gun in Mayberry! So, the elder cannot be a ridiculous Hollywood type. He has to be appropriate. He also has to be hospitable. Hospitality is the opposite of xenophobia. In fact, Paul uses the word xenophile. Someone who loves the outsider and the stranger. That's a requirement for the elder. The xenos, someone from far away, is loved uh, philoxenos is the Greek word. They put the file first, then the xenos. But same idea. You love the stranger and the outsider. Hospitality doesn't actually mean having friends and family over. Right? That's just assume that you'll do that. Hospitality means inviting strangers. People you don't know from Adam. People you haven't met saying, yes, come into my house and experience God's love there. That's a requirement for the elder. The elder must be able to teach. This is the only skill-based item on the list that's not a character-based item. An elder who doesn't know the Word of God is unable to share the Word of God, is unable to sit down with you and say, God's Word says, you come to him and say, I have this problem with my kid, with my mom, with my boss. I'm reading this magazine and it says something and I'm not sure whether it's right. The elder has to be able to tell you, well, let's look at the Word of God and lead you around the pages of Scripture. He has to be apt to teach. There are some who know a lot and can't convey it. There are others who know very little but can hold a crowd mesmerized. The elder is not supposed to be either of those. He is supposed to both know a lot and be able to convey it in a way that's understandable to the layman. You shouldn't need a Bible degree to understand what the elder is saying. You don't have to have majored in philosophy as an undergraduate in order to listen to the elder tell you about the Word of God. The elder must also be not violent, but gentle. This is something that our society majors on. In that sense, it's not a big qualification that we have to talk about. Most of the people you know are going to land more on the gentle side because that's been relentlessly drummed into them by our culture. Paul says this is appropriate, this is right for the elder. Someone who's ready to settle things with his fists is not to be an elder. He also must be peaceable. Rather than sowing discord, someone who walks by a conversation and throws a hand grenade in, walks by another conversation, throws in a Molotov cocktail, walks into the room and He's got everybody at each other's throats in five minutes. We all know people with that gift. They are not to be elders. They must be peaceable. They need to be bringing people together. You can use the cliche, building bridges, not walls. Paul doesn't say that. He doesn't believe in cliches, but he does say the elder has to unite people in peace. He can't be a recent convert. Often not a neophyte is the word he uses. That is literally a new plant or newly planted. A new plant often grows really fast. 
Right? It goes from having one leaf to having five leaves. That's 500% growth. Whoa! This elder, this guy is growing so fast. Let's make him an elder. Paul says, no, no. Don't say, he's growing so fast. Say, he's so new. Wait till he has been a believer for a while. The neophyte will fall into the snare of the devil when he says, Wow, I've only been a Christian six months and I'm leading all the other Christians. Wow, that's cool. No, that's not cool. That's bad. Don't do that. You should finally have a good testimony from outsiders. That is, non-believers should be able to say, this guy is a good leader. I don't believe in the church, but I believe that you would want him in your church. So those are the qualifications for elder. The deacon... Uh, there's only four here that don't overlap with elder. The deacon must be serious or reverent. Now this uh, sounds a lot like a description of the elder. It's a different word in Greek, so I didn't put it as an overlapping characteristic. But again, if you think the man is laughable, silly, pompous, too ridiculous for words, another Don Knotts type, don't vote for him for deacon. He is not fit for this position. The deacon must be a serious individual. Uh, someone that you can say, I respect that guy. Not double-tongued. Right? The elder surely can't be a liar, but Paul doesn't mention it for elders. He does for deacons. The deacon has to tell the truth. The double-tongued individual is someone who has a different message for a different audience. He tells one thing to this group and another thing to that group. And that is utterly unfitting for the deacon as he has to actually go into high-pressure situations and help with real, crying, physical needs. If you are a deacon, you could very well be charged with helping a family that's one payment away from foreclosure or one missed payment away from foreclosure. Guess what you want to tell that family? We'll help you. We'll give you money. You won't have to go out on the street. right? There's a lot of pressure on the deacon to say that and then to come back to the deacon board and say, ah, these people are terrible financial managers. The last thing they need is more money. They need to go on the street and learn a lesson. Well, we understand the pressure to say one thing in one scenario and the other thing in the other scenario. Paul says, don't put somebody who's given to being double-tongued under that kind of pressure. For a deacon, you need somebody who tells it like it is and who really doesn't cut his message to fit his audience. Because his job, managing the physical and financial needs of the church, requires a straight talker. No double tongue in a deacon. The deacon also has a qualification regarding his wife. Deacon's ministry takes them out into homes where oftentimes women are present. The wife of the deacon is also working alongside the deacon. And that's why Paul says their wives have to have these four characteristics. One that overlaps with elder, one that overlaps with deacon, and then two that are just for the wife. Not She has to be serious like the deacon. She can't be a slanderer. She has to tell the truth. She has to be temperate and faithful 
across the board, temperate like the elder, in charge of herself. And then one who is faithful in all things. The deacon has to be able to trust his wife, not to be too talkative about what she knows, not to be saying a different thing than he's saying. The deacon is saying, no, we won't pay your mortgage. And the wife is saying, yes, we will. We'll help you. No, she has to be faithful across the board. And one of the deacon's biggest concerns is caring for widows. Wives are going to be very, very instrumental in that. So Paul says, when you're electing a deacon, you've got to look at the wife. The wife is just as important, in a certain sense, as the character of the deacon himself. Finally, he says, the deacon has to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And he tells us something about the mystery of the faith in verse 16. The deacon may be the bluff man of business, who understands financial realities, but he also has to hold the mystery of the faith. He should not be a worldly man who knows nothing of Christ or spiritual things. So that's a very whirlwind tour of these qualifications. Why does it matter? Why, Paul? Why do we make a big deal out of this? One answer, of course, is that Paul makes a big deal out of it, giving it a whole chapter here in Timothy and another chapter in Titus. And the New Testament as a whole emphasizes the principle of team leadership across the board. Paul always travels with his team. Peter and John went up to the temple to pray, Luke tells us. And even though John never says anything in the whole story across three chapters, it's always Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter and John. Why? Because team ministry. They don't go off alone. They're not the Lone Ranger Christians. They are a team, and that is very much true of elders and deacons. They work as a team. Right? Our civil government has incorporated this principle such that the individual can't make any decision in a legislative context. All boards have to have a majority of the board, a majority of the team, Sign on to something before it is the decision of the board. That principle is straight out of the New Testament. So we have elders and deacons, plural. You don't want a church with one elder and one deacon. That's a dictatorship. Paul says, elder team, deacon team. So why it matters? Well, we need these kind of leaders, men with this character, because... The church is the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What does he mean to say the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? In the Reformation era, the Roman Catholic Church went straight to this verse and said, Aha! We're right, Protestants, you're wrong. The church is the foundation of the truth. The truth literally stands on the church such that without the church, there is no truth. And the reformers didn't say, oh, you're right, we'll come back, Mr. Pope. No, they didn't say that. They said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not what the verse means. The verse does not mean that truth would not exist without the church in the same way that gasoline would not exist without oil refineries. Not what Paul is trying to say. How do we know that? Well, truth is a thought or a statement that corresponds to reality. Truth is something that you could predicate only of a thought or statement. That is, truth is something within minds 
within persons, within utterances. I can't say that there is truth in this piece of wood. A piece of wood is not capable of truth or falsehood. A rock is not capable of truth or falsehood. Truth is a mental thing. That which corresponds to reality within the mind. So when Paul says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, he's making a psychological statement or an epistemological statement. The church helps us learn and believe the truth. Jesus is the truth. That's what the Bible says. Not the church is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. That's a metaphysical statement about what the nature of truth is. But when we encounter Jesus, when we hear Jesus, we do so in the church. Our knowledge of the truth is grounded on the church's work. And thus the reformers said, pillar of the truth, think of it more like a telephone pole downtown that's covered in papers. Lost cat. Guitar lessons and so on. The church is a pillar of the truth. That is, it holds up the message of the truth for everyone to read. That's what Paul means when he says the church is the pillar of the truth. That's why we need solid elders and deacons. We're not electing people to run a 4th of July party. There's not enough hot dogs and lemonade. After two hours, the party's over and it's okay. But... The church is the only organization authorized by Jesus to lead people to Jesus. The church is it. You're electing people who will either reinforce that or destroy it. And thus, Paul says, pay careful attention to these qualifications. You need men with this kind of character to be elders and deacons to sustain the church in its incredibly important role of being pillar and ground of the truth. He also adds then that the life of Christ is the source of piety. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of how to be a faithful servant of God. You can't be a faithful servant of God without believing these six things. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. No one argues with that. Anyone who's a Christian has to admit this is a great mystery. And because it's a great mystery, you can't have fools and idiots teaching it. The church teaches some complicated stuff. That's why you don't elect elders and deacons and unserious, uh, don't elect fools and laughing stocks and unserious people to be elders and deacons. They're not in charge of something dumb. They're in charge of proclaiming a great mystery that requires real serious attention. And then finally, of course, the next verse, now the Spirit says some will depart from the faith. That's why we need elders and deacons. The church upholds the truth because of the life and work of Christ and because people are departing in droves. So pray. Right? I've given you the law. You're the jury. It's your job to determine the facts. Do these men meet these qualifications? Don't. Your job is not to consider whether I think these men meet these qualifications. Put that out of your mind entirely. 
That has nothing to do with it. My judgment can be wrong, right? Ask my kids. I can be wrong. So don't vote and say, oh, the elders approved these candidates. Where does Paul say that? Approved by the elders. No, he's asking you to determine the facts. He gives the law. Here's the 14 characteristics of the elder. Here's the seven characteristics of the deacon. Now you look at the facts and you determine what your vote will be. Do the characters of these men stand up to the qualifications written in the book? Don't say, well, somebody else vetted them. They must be okay. It's not your job to determine whether somebody else vetted them. Your job to vet them and to vote accordingly because great is the mystery of godliness. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us that you would continue to raise up elders and deacons for your church. Lord, we thank you for these qualifications that are listed here, that we're not left wondering, what kind of a guy do we need? No, you tell us exactly what sorts of men we need. Father, we ask that you would give great wisdom to your church now as they proceed to vote on elders and deacons. Uh, Lord, make us wise to salvation. We pray that you would stop the bleeding, that people would not depart from the faith, that through the work of the church as pillar and ground of the truth, through the mystery of godliness, many would be made wise to salvation, that the gates of hell would be broken and Satan's minions would be released to come into the kingdom of light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.